Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. The temple's fallen in disrepair. The people aren't obeying the covenant. How does the book start? I wouldn't have said, I love you. Right. Right. That's right. But that's what God does. That's right. When we are disobedient, far from him, breaking the covenant, disrespectful, honoring other gods. Right. And why? Because we think God doesn't love us. Right. I don't think God's love us, so I'm going to do whatever I want. It's in those moments that Jesus comes and professes his love for us in the most dramatic ways. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are in the book of Malachi today. Everybody's favorite book. Everyone's favorite book because that means the next book in your Protestant Bible is the the New Testament. Is the New Testament, that's right. Yeah, is that why it's everyone's favorite book? (laughs) I don't know. I was more of a sarcastic, it's everyone's favorite book. It's just nobody reads it. Yeah. I mean, some people might read it. Uh, You read it Yeah. or you hear it read when your pastor wants to talk about divorce or tithes. Oh, yes. These are the two reasons why <laughs> you might have heard of the book so, of Malachi. Okay, so what you're saying is the book of Malachi is about divorce and, t- and tithes. Not, Not really. at all. Not okay. at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> what, what, yeah, what is it? Why should we be excited about the, about the well, book of Malachi? Well, Malachi is the final book of the Bible from God's last prophet before God doesn't speak for 400 years. Mm. So okay. the reason why it's at the end of our Protestant Bibles yeah. is because it marks the end of revelatory history mm-hmm. or God's revelation to his people until Jesus arrives. I see. So even though in the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. Chronicles comes at the end. Right, because it chronicles the end of Israel's history. Right. Uh, chronologically, though, mm-hmm. you're saying that Malachi comes after the end of Chronicles. Yes. And that's why it's at the end of our Protestant Bibles, because in between... In a sense, Malachi and Matthew, you have this gap of recorded revelation from God. Yeah, no, God does not speak. No books of the Bible are written right. for 400 years. Okay. So, so Malachi is the last word before 400 years of divine silence. That's interesting. Yeah. Is it a good question then to ask? Like, So what does God say before he doesn't say anything for a while? The answer may not surprise you. It's to summarize everything he's already said. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, that kind of does surprise me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the name uh-huh. Malachi just means my messenger. Okay, yep. Some people debate whether even Malachi was a real person. Mm. He's given no genealogy, like a lot of other prophets. Oh, sure. He's not even given a time period within which he is prophesying, like a lot of other prophets. Yeah. So there seems to be like this timeless quality, to this intentional timeless quality of the book of Malachi. Mm -hmm. It's the message. 
And at the very end of the book of Malachi, in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, uh, Malachi actually summarizes the entire first five books of the Bible, the Torah, mm-hmm. and all the prophetic literature in two verses. Mm. And Why is he doing that? Well, because I think he understands his book as a summary of God's revelation with his people uh-huh. to a final generation before 400 years of silence. So do you think the book of Malachi is meant to prepare Israel for that time of silence? Is that its function? I think in a sense, yes. Maybe, I don't know to what extent Malachi would have been aware sure. of the divine silence that's coming. Right. But I do think Malachi understands that God's people have failed to live up to the calling of the Torah, mm-hmm. the first five books of the Bible, and they have ceased to listen to the prophets. And by its placement at the end of our Protestant Bibles and at the last revelation we have until Jesus, mm-hmm. it invites us to consider the book of Malachi as the final word to God's people okay. before Jesus comes. So we don't know when this was written. We don't. Okay. There's good guesses to when it was written, like roundabout times. It seems as if the temple had been rebuilt for the second time. So oh, okay. after Ezra, after Nehemiah, after um after Nehemiah's reign. I see. So I'm guessing there's like references in there about like g- bring these gifts to the... Yeah, there's no names mentioned, yeah. but the temple seems to be standing uh-huh. and the temple has gone into disrepair once again. The oh, priests are failing okay. to do what they're supposed to do. So it's an invitation like, go back to what you were doing before, what God said of the Torah, what mm. the prophets warned you against. And then, I see. Yeah. So, so Malachi is trying to get people to repent Mm-hmm. Help, help me there. Where yeah. it's like he's it's a it's a call to return to how things were, but it's also, in a sense, preparing us for silence. Yeah. How do those two things talk to each other? Well, I think maybe me saying it prepares us for silence is because of its placement in history. I so see. Like just observing it as a person. Yeah. Hundreds of years after it was, we written, can read it that way. We can read it as oh, this was God's last word to His people. I see. Before He showed up in Jesus. Right. So we can approach like, okay, what was God's last words to his people before he chose not to speak again until Jesus? I see. And then the other parts of what does Malachi say to his generation? Mm -hmm. And it's a summary of what God expected of his people and his priests and how they failed those expectations and a call to return to those things. Okay, so without like a firmly grounded history, because those would be my first questions, like what was going on in Israel that made this book right. be written you know i guess what do we have to go off of then to structure the conversation rather mm-hmm. than oh here's the historical context here's why he wrote the book here's the audience instead mm-hmm. are we just going off of really all we have to work on is the literature itself right yeah we again we do know that the temple was functioning okay, so yeah. it was after the rebuilding of the temple but that's kind of all we know so we know later in israel's history life yeah. but like at the very very tail end of it The book itself is structured into six arguments with God. Okay. (laughs) God gets in six different arguments with his people. Okay. So is is Malachi the the mouthpiece of God's side of the argument? Yes, that's right. Okay. Uh, Sometimes God will speak directly and sometimes Malachi speaks on behalf of God, but that's kind of the way that all prophetic literature works. It's like, when is the prophet speaking? Yeah. as God, and right, when right, right. is the prophet speaking on behalf of God is kind of a confusing... This might be a nerdy question, okay. but is there like a literary style to that? Like, Because I know some ki- sometimes there's courtroom debates, mm-hmm. there can be public agora debates, oration speeches. Is there a type of 
debate that's being used yeah, in Malachi? Do we know? I don't know. Okay, I do know that everyone starts kind of the same way. Yeah. God will make a statement. Okay. His people say, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and then God will say, well, here's why I'm right. Oh, and that's, that's kind good. of like, there's like, God says something that people have a question about it. And then God responds to it six different times. Okay. And I think roughly the first three and the last three have similar messages. As in the first three has a, a unified message and the last three has a unified message. The first three really focuses on the summary of the Torah mm-hmm. and the first five books of the Bible, which means the summary of the Torah in Malachi's mind is God has chosen you as his people, so obey his laws. Mm. It's the summary of the Torah. God yep. has chosen you as his people, right. so obey his laws. Yep. And then the last three arguments focus around a summary of the prophets, which is there is a messenger, a future priest coming, who will remove all the evil from among God's people. Hmm. Those are the two main points of the two different sets of three arguments. I see. Okay. The first three is a repeat of the Torah. You are God's chosen people, therefore obey. Mm-hmm. And the second three are, there's a coming... Messenger. Messenger. A Malachi. Um, another Malachi is coming. Another Malachi is coming. Okay. Who will come to remove evil from among God's people. Okay, so does he go out of summary mode and into prediction mode, or is he still doing summary work there? The summary is the prophecy, in a sense. It's like, you should not repeat the sins of your past. I'm going to repeat the Torah to you. Right. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, this is what will happen. And it's he's repeating everything God promised in the Torah. If you right. obey my commands, these good things will happen. And that's saying. like in the first three arguments. Uh-huh. In the second three arguments, he's saying when the messenger comes, mm. God will come too. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I want you to respond to that moment appropriately. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a prep it's preparatory. It's it's like encouraging. It's exhortative. Like he wants yeah. something to happen to these people. He's doing it for the purpose of encouraging them to obey the law and expect the messenger. But he's also doing it in such a way that summarizes the entire Old Testament. Okay. I I get that. So then when we're looking at Malachi do we need to start in the first three arguments? Is that the best way to start? Or is there somewhere else we need to start? That's where we should start. Okay. Argument number one. I have loved you, says the Lord. But the people say, how have you loved us exactly? <laughs> so they're, they're, they're that thing. God makes a statement and they're like, "What? how's that true? It's like, how have you loved us exactly? And then God responds. He says, well, isn't Esau Jacob's brother? <laughs> what? That's such a weird response. <laughs> Isn't Esau Jacob's brother? So, Oh, so is he saying, I chose Jacob and not Esau? That's why I loved you? That's right. Because so you're chosen. He's like, so you're my chosen people. Uh, I, get I love you. Okay. You're the children of Jacob. I love you. And is not Esau Jacob's brother? Right. Yet, I have loved Jacob and not Esau. Ah, uh, okay. I have laid waste his hill country and left the, his heritage to jackals of the desert. If the descendants of Esau say, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says... You may build your castles, but I will tear them down. <laughs> you will be a wicked country forever. And that's Edom he's talking that's about. That's about, yeah, the descendants of Esau. Yeah. And then he says, your eyes, Jacob, will see this. And you will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Okay, so he says, hey, Israel, I love you. And they're like, yeah, right, prove it. And he yeah. says, I have when I chose you mm-hmm. as my people over every nation and over and over even your brother Esau. And then now look even at your futures. I will establish your nation if you mm-hmm. return to me. But 
no matter what happens, I'm not going to reestablish Edom. Right. Okay. He, he's basically, well, he's actually, it's a past argument. He's saying, oh, Edom, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. Yeah. Edom right. is not flourishing. He's uh -huh. not my chosen people. Every time he seems to be a threat, what have I done on your behalf? Mm. I've torn him down. Yep. Haven't I proven over and over and over again, my love? Are you so forgetful of that? And again, what's the story of the Torah? God chooses Jacob right. over Esau and over and over and over again through the books of Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. It's God's inter loving interactions with the people of Jacob mm. even when the descendants of Esau are attacking them, yeah. which is a constant threat throughout the first five books of the Bible. How, mm -hmm. Doesn't my whole history with you prove that I love you? Yeah. Let me ask a question. Yeah. Why is Malachi starting with God affirming his love for his people? And why is Israel so quick to argue with that love? I don't know why he starts with yeah. God's love, except to say that God is love. Sure. And like what motivated him to make a world in which he wanted humans to live in it? Love, right? Like mm. there's like, there's a sense that that is why he chose Israel. Not because they were great, not because oh, they were right. mighty, yeah. not because they were strong, not because they were oppressive, but because they were the least and he mm. chose them out of love. Yeah. That is God's motivation in choosing a people. Is it too much to say, because uh, I'm like, this is throwing me for a loop, because I'm like, is it too much to say that the reason the temple has fallen into disrepair, the reason the people aren't obeying the covenant the right way is because at bottom, they've just forgotten the fundamental principle that God actually loves them. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. I think like it's kind of crazy because whenever I think about the Old Testament, yeah, you know what the first thing I don't think of is? What? God loves his people. Mm. I think about this complex history. I think about genealogies. I think about the, the creation story. I think about all the wilderness wanderings. I think right. about going into the borders of Canaan. You know what gets lost in all those details? <laughs> Don't you know that I love you? Right. And wait, that's wait. like the most constantly affirmed thing throughout all those stories. Right. Yeah. And, we for, and we forget it we as, forget it. And, and you even ask like, so is that what he's saying? Like, yeah, that yeah, is the that story is of the whole, yeah. the whole Bible. And you forgot it because you got lost in all the historical details. Right. I love you. Uh-huh. And then I do think the second question you asked was like, is that the reason why they're failing to obey the covenant? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's right. People are unconvinced of God's love mm. because they look around them. They see that their life doesn't look like what the covenant God promised was. Like you promised oh, right. me us life and flourishing in our own nation, but we are here and not really flourishing like uh, you said you would. So that might be why they're saying, do you really love us? Look, look the right. land's not flourishing like you said. You must, right. you must not love us. Right. Yeah. My and, life is not going the way I thought it would, so mm -hmm. therefore God must not love me. And if you look back through the Old Testament, that forgetfulness of God's loving and choosing mm. is exactly the reason why people rebelled over and over right. and over again. Right. I saved you out of Egypt. No, no, no. The gods of Egypt saved us out of Egypt, and we would <laughs> rather go back there. Like... The, the story of God's people has always been that God loves them, they forget that he loves them, and then they choose other gods, other nations, other covenants to provide what God has already promised to provide them. Mm -hmm. That's the story of the Torah, and that's, that's the pattern that Malachi is going to continue to show. You're convinced that God doesn't love you, so you've started being faithless. You've started not obeying God's laws because you're not convinced God's laws are going to do anything for you. Mm. You're not doing the things in the temple you should do, so you're not offering the sacrifices you should because you're not convinced God pays attention. But he yeah. does. He loves you. Right. Yeah. Man, I think if you asked me before this podcast, so here's the situation. The temple's in disrepair. He's going to remind them of the Torah and then tell them there's a coming messenger. And then it's like, okay, David, how do you think Malachi starts his book? 
God is love. <laughs> yeah, I like. I don't think I would have gotten there to my own shame, but that's just so beautiful that it's true. That if you want to know what is God looking for in you, and like w- who is God to you, and if any of that has fallen into disrepair, the answer is remember God loves you, and mm-hmm. that what He requires from you, which Deuteronomy says, is to love Him in return. Yeah, that is the central message of. The yeah. Old Testament. Right. And it's the central message of the New Testament, the Christian message right. too. It's like we can look at our current situation, our suffering, our hardship, the life that seems like we should be deserved and it's not here. Mm. And the call of the Christian message is to remember God's love to us in a past event. Yeah. God showed his love to Israel through the covenant he made with them and his constant faithfulness. God has shown his love to us in Jesus and the covenant of love that he's given us there. And so when our current life circumstance doesn't match what we think should we should be owed, how do we remember God's love? We don't look at our circumstances. Mm. We look backwards to the God that sacrificed himself so that we could be his people. Yeah, That's the message of God's people through all time, is looking backwards to what God, how God has made us his own mm. to remember his love for us. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing that Malachi has to say to God's people is, hey, God loves you. (laughs) And he summarizes the Torah first and foremost by saying, you know what the Old Testament and all of my message to God's people has been through all of time? It's, I have loved you. (laughs) And uh, the people have not been receiving that love, and he's calling them to remember that he's chosen them and provided for them, and that should be enough is like his love for them. Mm-hmm. So that's the first argument that God has with his people. It's like you, is, you're skeptical of my love for you. Yeah. Is yeah. you don't believe that I love you. Mm-hmm. I resonate with that on yeah. a daily basis that I always have to wake up and be like, I don't think God loves me today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm good enough for his love today. And then he says, haven't I loved you mm-hmm. from the beginning? And right. Look at Jesus. And yeah, does, haven't I loved you? And I'm like, no, you haven't. And he's like, look at everything I've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There is a more sinister edge to mm. this skepticism. It's like, I've loved you. It's more, the tone is important. Mm. Well, how have you loved us? Right. Yeah. And what has that skepticism of God's love led them to do? Mm. It's caused them to say, it's not worth following his laws anymore. If God loved us, he would provide for us. Mm-hmm. And if he provides for us, then we'll obey his laws. Uh. But if we're our lives don't look like the way they should, there's no reason to follow God anymore right. because he's not doing what we expect him to do. I see. God doesn't love us because he doesn't conform to my expectations of what he should be providing for me in this given moment. Yes. So therefore, I am justified in not worshiping God the way that he wants to be worshiped, obeying God with the degree of scrupulosity that he wants me mm, to obey him. Yeah. I don't need to obey him because he's not being faithful to me. Mm. That's the logic. Yeah. And yeah, and then Jesus flips that logic, right? He's like, if you love me, then you'll obey my commands. Yep. And then also like seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for all the stuff to get added to me and then I'll love you, then I'll obey. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that skepticism of God's love based on my current action, uh, based yeah, on my yeah. current circumstance, leading me to say it's not worth following God, mm. 
is the trajectory of all humans oh my gosh, in relationship yes. with God throughout a whole time. Right. And Jesus says, like, that's just backwards. One, I've loved you this right. whole time. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I promise you, if you come to me, everything you want will be added to you. Right. But the second argument. The second argument. Here's what God says. A son honors his father. Yes, obviously. Yes, or at least he should. And a servant honors his master. Yes, yeah. that should be right. If then I am a father to you, Israel, where is my honor? Mm. If I am your master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests, you despise my name. You hate me. And then the priests say, how have we hated you? <laughs> they don't see it. So God says, you've dishonored me. Yeah. You're not giving me what the honor I'm owed as your God and your king. And they say, I don't see that. How right. have we dishonored you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. So the pattern is like God makes a statement and then they say, prove it. <laughs> right. Prove it. Yeah. Prove what you're saying is okay. accurate. So he's like, you guys understand that fathers get honor. I'm your father and I have no honor. You've not been honoring me. And they're like, what are you talking about? They don't understand what, what he's talking about. So right. what is, first off, what is he talking about? Uh, he's about to explain. Okay. Because they don't know. They're right. like, oh, right. Like, like you. you like, what yeah. are, like, they How don't know. How have they not been honoring you? Right. Okay. And here's God's response. Well, you have offered polluted food upon my altar, and you have taught that the Lord's table may be despised. You allow blind animals to be t- offered as sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And is that not evil? And then you offer sick animals and lame animals. Isn't that evil? If you were to present a gift like that to your governor, right. would he grant your requests, says the Lord? <laughs> and now you're asking me for favors and you expect me to be gracious to you with gifts like this from your hand? And then he says, oh, I wish that there would just be one of you who would just close the temple down because that would be better than this vain and half-hearted worship. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So that's the, that's the second argument, the, the, the beginning of the second argument. This one's the longest one in the whole book. Okay. So this is the beginning of it. So he's again going back to the Torah mm-hmm. and he's walking through some of the laws for what types of animals to offer as sacrifices at the temple. That's right. And you're only supposed to offer unblemished animals if they're blind or lame. Don't bring them. And the reason is, at least when I studied it twofold, one was the purity of the sacrifice is supposed to be a representative of the purity you can't achieve. Mm -hmm. That this thing is, is pure. I'm the one who's mangled and maimed. Therefore, I want to come into God's presence pure. So take this animal. The other is because why would you offer God something you wouldn't even give to some local state official when you're trying to honor them? God deserves the best of the best of the best. Yes. And so actually make a sacrifice and not just like, I didn't want this animal anyway. That's right. So bring your best to God and they're not bringing their best. And that idea of honor is probably the main focus of Malachi. You honor. Okay. Your state officials, yeah. but you're refusing to honor me. Huh. Um, you do not give me the respect I am owed as a higher official than yeah. the governor of your land. That's the, the major note that he's okay. going to harp on here for a second. And when it comes to honor, I think that can be a difficult thing mm-hmm. for some of us to wrestle with because on one hand, it's like, is God being petty? Is he like offended? Like, oh, why don't you guys give me honor? Is he jealous, like, in a bad way? Uh, like, can you help explain 
the idea of like honor. Well, it might be helpful to skip down a couple verses to okay. verse 13 of chapter of chapter 1. 1. Okay, so. And it says this. It says, "What a weariness this is." So this mm. is the priest speaking. "What a weariness all this blemishless sacrifices is. Hmm. You snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You sneer at the level of sacrifice I'm demanding of you. And you bring to me what's been taken by violence. He's like, there's a sheep that got it's roadkill, a wolf mangled it, oh. and they're bringing that to the to offer to God. Bringing God roadkill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you wouldn't serve this at your like enemy's house. Why would you bring this to God's altar? Yes. And then he says this, Cursed be the cheat who is, has a male in his flock, and he promises it to me, but then sacrifices it to the Lord, even the what is blemished. He's saying part of the dishonor here is just the very visceral dishonor of offering me roadkill. Uh-huh. Part of the dishonor that's happening here is the fact that you've promised me the first of your flock right. in some sort of public vow, perhaps, mm. but bringing me blemished animals instead when nobody can prove you've vowed something else. Right. And he says this, I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among all the nations of the earth. Like, I'm the global king. I'm the right. king of the universe, the king of the world. And you're treating me worse than you would treat anybody else on earth. Right. This is just blatant dishonor. dishonor. Like, so, I mean, does that fill out the picture of what I feel like dishonor in that sense almost feels self evident? Like, oh, I would be dishonored if somebody brought to my house, I told, hey, come over for dinner bring whatever you bring some meat for the table yeah and they just brought something they, they found on the side of the road like, i would probably uh, just feel like they're crazy or something like <laughs> i don't right, know right. i would personally feel dishonored dishonored like yeah. oh i deserved mm-hmm. you to bring good food and you right. brought bad food i don't think i would feel personally That's affronted right. i would right. be like this person is crazy right if somebody is like oh hey you're gonna bring the wine tonight for the meal uh-huh. And they stop off at Trader Joe's and get a two buck chuck. Right. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know wine. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I would, I would think of it more about them than about me. Right. And so, but there's that honor shame culture of mm-hmm. this day. Something more is going on. Something there. more is probably going on there. I think the idea of authority figure helps. Mm. Like, it's the king. Right. The governor deserves respect. You pledge fealty to him or right. you you bow in his presence you speak to, you you address him as your governorship your your majesty sir mr president mm-hmm. like you, there's certain honorifics you right. offer a, a ruling deity or a ruling leader mm-hmm. and so they're failing on one level just the basic courtesies due to a sovereign mm-hmm. that's one level of the dishonor okay right? i think i can get that yeah if we take me away as the host yes i think it starts making more sense okay so let's say i get invited by a great king to a feast yes maybe this is just the western individualism yeah. where it's easier to see myself in that position okay and it's like i get invited of course david would be invited yeah, yeah, to the right? feast. Yeah. and i get invited <laughs> to this feast and i'm told that that a feast is being held in my honor and i'm gonna go and I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And I mean, this king has so much provision. And so if he's going to throw a big feast, it's going to be like nice, mm-hmm. like five course meal. It's going to be steak. It's going to be awesome. And I get there and it's like a three day old McDonald's cheeseburger that he found in a dumpster. And he's like, here you go. He doesn't love me. He's not giving me any honor. He's right. He has no respect for me whatsoever. Right. And then I know it's about me and not about him. 
Because mm-hmm. then it's like, he had the means. Yeah. He knew what this moment was for. And he is choosing mm-hmm. to dishonor me. That's right. In that moment. Yeah. And it's like, and I think that helps me kind of set up the so categories more. What the people of Israel were supposed to do is in this moment of sacrifice, it was a moment to honor God. Right. To recognize how high he was above them. Yeah. And ask for forgiveness, ask for purity, at, like, or thank him. Love him. To show their right. love for him. So to offer something like this in that in a moment that's supposed to be a high and holy and, and sacred moment is to totally dishonor God. Yeah. That's why God's offended. Yeah. And why his people should not be doing this. Is there a way that this connects? I mean, obviously it connects to the, to the first argument where they don't love God. They're not receiving mm-hmm. his love. Therefore, they don't honor him, which is just an interesting chain of logic yeah. that God's not asking us to honor him before we love him. Right. Right. He's as he's like, know that I love you. Or yeah, or to, for us to honor him before we know he loves Right. Uh, he yeah, loves to us. honor him before yes. we know he loves us. It's like, first receive my love. Know yeah. that I have loved you and do love you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, the king of the universe loves me? Man, how can I not honor that? Yeah. Uh it's like a father in mm-hmm. you know, in his in his situation. Yep, yep. It's like don't don't fathers get the honor of their children? Well, yeah, because they're the father figure authority, okay. Mm-hmm. But also they love their children. That's right. A father who hates and despises his children does not get the honor of his children. And so I think those two ideas being tied together is also helpful. Yeah. That God wants us to know he loves us. That's right. And then expects us to return with love and honor. Yeah. Okay. That's right. And then there's something else added here. So we're saying there's a sense that we're replaying some of the history of Israel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So one of the first sins once the tabernacle was set up, once there was a sacrificial system in place, uh-huh. Aaron's sons, so the sons of a father, offer strange fire. Right. They offer unauthorized, unauthorized. Uh, sacrifice. And it's this big deal for Israel. In verse 10, do not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. Like the, uh. he, the, I think he's probably hyperlinking us to the story. Hey, remember what happened in the very first moments of Israel? Our right. people's history when that, that strange fire came out and consumed a, them. When a polluted offering was happening, like what happened? Yeah. That that was a dishonorable moment, right. and God judged it as such. Mm-hmm. And then the next verses are really interesting because what is the purpose of Israel? Abraham told Israel, God's people, that they would bless the world. Right. Jacob's descendants would bless the world. Yep. The whole world would become a nation of priests, right? Yeah. That would all worship God honorably. Like mm. the whole world would honor God in this way. So look at this, verse uh, 11. I have no pleasure in you, priest, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand because from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Mm. Have you ever heard the phrase that uh, the sun will never set on the British Empire? Yes. So like, I think that's what he's saying. He's yeah. Like, I'm, I have a plan for the sun to never set right. on those who worship my name. Mm. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and it will be a pure offering. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So one of the things that's on the line here, he's saying, because you're failing to offer correct sacrifices, mm-hmm. you are excluding yourself from my plans to make worshipers and priests of the entire world. My love towards Israel was meant to go out into the entire world and make priests of the entire world. Mm-hmm. But because you're offering polluted sacrifices, you are being 
robbed of your opportunity to be a part of the blessed world that I am making through you, Judah, my chosen people. Okay. Are you saying that Israel offering wrong sacrifices is excluding them from the kingdom that God is building or that offering blemish sacrifices is hindering the kingdom God wants to build? I think it's the first one. Okay. These priests will be excluded. So God's going to build a kingdom anyway. And if they refuse to offer the right sacrifices, they will not be a part of it. Crazy. Right, which is what happened to Nadab and Abihu. They offer oh, right, yeah, they, right. They, they, they're not part of it. <laughs> they, they never saw the sun again. They, they yeah. never saw the sun again. Right. So like that's, he's like, he's saying the consequences are dire for failing to be true to the covenant you want to be a part of. I'm creating a whole world of worshipers. Don't mm. you want to be a part of it? Right. Yeah. So yeah, something more is on the line there than just, uh, hey, I deserve honor. Give me honor. God's mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to include you in a yes. global kingdom under the king of the universe yes. and you are not participating in that kingdom. Don't you want to be a part of this worldwide empire I'm yeah. building? You know, Then like, honor the king. Then honor the king. Yeah. It's not crazy. Right. Just honor the king and you'll be a part of the kingdom. That's right. And by the way, that king loves you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And so sense. then to prove my point earlier about how God will just take these priests out and not include them in his kingdom, verse chapter two is helpful. If you don't listen, if you won't take it to heart to give honor to my name, says God, then I will send the curse upon you mm. and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I'll have already cursed them because you do not lay this to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, your mm. children, and I will spread dung on your faces Whoa. and the dung of your offering and you will be taken away with it. What might help there is priests would gut the animals before they were sacrificed. Mm, they right. would remove the intestines, which is where all the, the dung was, is, yep. all the poop was, and they would take it away out of the temple, out of the, temple, yep. out of the presence of God. Right. And so he's saying, just like you do every day when you offer these polluted sacrifices, you oh. actually take the worst part away. I'm going to take that part away that you won't even bring here, smeared on your faces, and that's actually your destiny. Your destiny is to is be outside the camp. Is outside the camp, outside the presence of God. I, you will not be a part of it. Thank you. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very visceral image. Yeah. It's like you, nobody eats the poop sack, uh, <laughs> but that's what you'll be to me. Yes. I actually, um, yeah, some, some people do. That's true. <laughs> I've watched a lot of food shows where they clean out the, I mean, I've eaten yeah. intestine before. Yeah. I mean, well, t- uh, well, I mean, one time I was in the Philippines and we were out in the sticks because everything else, like the food's amazing there. Yeah. But th- we were this one tribe and yeah, they, they cooked the intestines. Their specialty was cooking the intestines with the poop still in it. Yeah. And oh. my, like our like cultural liaison, she was like, you don't eat that. Because <laughs> normally, yeah, the intestines, they're right. going to clean it out. Right. But not but not they, this one. They, it's like they cook it with it in there. Like she like, you will get sick from that. That is crazy. Yeah. So. Well. Visceral image. Visceral image. Yeah. yeah. That's. So he's like, I'm going to. Okay. Kick so, you out. So, yeah. So the priests are going to get kicked out of the temple of this kingdom if they don't start honoring God with right sacrifices. That's right. But then God says, here's the reason why I'm giving you this warning. And Mm. here's why I might kick some of you out. It's verse four. So that my covenant with Levi may stand, Hmm. says the Lord of hosts. Okay. Yeah. You're ruining the priesthood. I'm trying to keep the priesthood intact. That's right. Levi was the first, that's right. The priesthood tribe. Yes. And he says, my covenant with him was life and peace. And I gave it to him. It was a covenant of fear or of honor. Oh, he was, he honored me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he stood in awe of my name. Okay, yep. True instruction was in his mouth. We were, we were told in the previous chapter that by offering polluted offerings, they were teaching 
the people dishonor. Right. But that's not what Levi did. No, he, he taught t- the right sacrifice. He taught, he taught the, honor. Yes. And he walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he mm-hmm. turned many away from sin. So, so I want to create a people. I want to preserve mm-hmm. Levi. And in order to do that, I need to take out the malcontents and the bad actors, the people right. who are skeptical of my love and refuse to give me the honor that I'm due. I'm getting rid of the priests, but not the priesthood. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yep. And then he says this, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. The people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of the host. He's the Malachi Malachi. of the Lord of hosts, but you have turned away from this. You've caused many to stumble by your instructions. So, Okay. A couple questions. Yes. One, you said, are we to the point yet where you teased it earlier? Where you like, you might as well just tear down the temple if you're going to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Have we gotten to that point yet? He says earlier in verse chapter one, verse ten, he's like, "I'd rather you close the doors of the temple okay. than offer any more of these vain, okay. polluted sacrifices." So, I mean, I'm just curious as we're kind of coming into that section, like, what, what's he saying there? He's like, uh-huh. "It'd be better if you'd offer no sacrifices at all than mm-hmm. to offer polluted sacrifices." Yes, that's the message. That's the message. Okay, when Jesus comes and clears the temple, uh-huh. is there any kind of connection there of what he's doing? He's like. Let's just shut this down. Yeah, he is ridding the priesthood of its bad actors. Okay, so he's doing Malachi. He's doing Malachi. Whenever he clears the temple. Yes. Because, I guess, maybe in a sense, they were offering... I don't know if we know if they were offering blemish sacrifices in the first century. Knowing the Pharisees from what I just said, they probably wouldn't be doing that, but they were not worshiping God truly. They Mm. were using the temple to line their own pockets. They were oppressing and hurting the people of God. Right. The honor wasn't in the right place. The honor was not in the right place. So even if it was a different expression of dishonor, they were still dishonoring God's temple, which is why, you know, Jesus gets mad about it. Okay. So that, that was my first question. That's cool that Jesus is doing that. Well, my next question is about Levi. Why talk about Levi here? I guess is the question. Right. It's like we haven't seen the name Levi nope. up to this point. But we are talking about priests. Right. And the priesthood are all descended from Levi. Okay. We might want to go back to Let's go. when Levi was established as the priestly tribe because even my memory's a little fuzzy. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 34. Great. Which is before Levi ever becomes a priest. Oh, gosh. Okay, so we're going all the way back. Jacob, the chosen son of God, yep. the chosen person of God. Isaac's son who became mm-hmm. Israel. Yes. His daughter is raped. Dinah. Dinah is raped. By the by, the prince of Shechem. By the prince of Shechem. Yep. And it's Levi, Dinah's brother, uh-huh. who comes to her rescue. He wants to protect her honor. Yep. And so he makes this plan where he... Um, <laughs> it's a very funny it's plan. It's a really funny plan. He said, it's important for what's about to happen, but he makes this plan. And as he's making this plan, the king of Shechem, knowing that his son has just raped one mm-hmm. of Jacob's daughters, wants to make a deal between these two kingdoms. Right. And he says, hey... Let's make an honest woman out of her Let's, and all Israelites. And all Israelites. You guys can come into our land. You can share our land. You can share our wealth. You can share our crops. Yep. You can have more than what you have now yep. if you just intermarry with us right. and we become Your simpatico. people will be our people. Yes, we can become simpatico with each yep. other. Um, That's a technical term for intermarriage. Uh, simpatico. Simpatico. <laughs> <laughs> and then Levi says, okay, great. We'll do so uh-huh. if all your men become circumcised. Right. And they're like, sure, no problem. Which I'm like, big problem. Big problem. <laughs> like, Hold on. This is a really big problem. <laughs> the king does not speak for me. <laughs> but what's interesting is that Shechem goes to his officials yep. and he says, guys, this is a win-win for us. My mm-hmm. son gets off the hook 
and soon everything that people Israel have will be ours. Be ours. Yep. Let's just cut off the yep. little section of our bodies that we're not using and let's gain a kingdom. Right. And so they do it. So they do it. They get circumcised. But a couple days later, and the quote for the Bible is, while they were still in pain. <laughs> yes. They're still uh, nursing their wounds. Nursing their wounds. Levi comes in and kills all the men right. who are responsible for defiling his sister's honor mm-hmm. and, or the ones that were trying to protect those that or to make a make a political gain out of their sister's desire. Right. Yeah. Sister. So Levi is known as this very honorable person willing to protect the dignity and honor of people who belong in God's house. Mm-hmm. That's the first story we're told about uh, Levi. Such a crazy story. Such a crazy story, but it gives you all these character qualities right. of the tribe of Levi. When the tribe of Levi is actually instituted is in the book of Numbers, chapter oh, 25. Okay. This is when the covenant with Levi oh, okay. comes about. Because at Mount Sinai, isn't it the the Levites who... Uh, oh, are yeah. like called upon on by Moses yes. to enact vengeance against those who dishonored God that's in right. the building of the golden calf. That's right. Okay. That's in Exodus 32. I forgot about okay. this story. This is exactly right. In Exodus 32, there's the whole golden calf debacle incident. So people are dishonoring God. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, so. Uh, d- like doing whatever they're doing around the golden cl- calf. They're <laughs> quote playing. Yeah, there is sexual overtone there. There's sexual overtone. There, there's something sexual going on around the golden calf and God is displeased with this, yes. the tribe of Levi stands up and says, we will stand with God and protect his honor. Uh, and then they go out and purge the people of Israel of right. those who are worshiping falsely. That's interesting. I've never put together, though, the defiling of Dinah mm-hmm. story with what Levi did to the people of Shechem That's right. with the golden calf and what mm-hmm. the Levites did mm-hmm. with the people at the golden calf. That's right. But it's the same story. It's the same story. Dishonoring and- God or God's people and then the Levites purging it. Yes. Interesting. Particularly with sexual overtones. Right, yes. And then when we get to the Numbers 25, when God actually makes a covenant with Uh the tribe of Levi, all the Levites as a whole, and makes them the priestly line, the Uh Levites the priestly line, it's because of a man named Phineas. Oh, yes, right. Uh, He's the son of Aaron. Or as N.T. Wright says it, Phineas. Phineas. (laughs) Phineas. He's the son of Aaron, the high priest. And the people of Israel had been intermarrying with the daughters of Moab under the influence of Baal. Mm-hmm. Phineas does not like this. No. Jealous for God's honor. Yep. He purifies <laughs> people. All the, he kills everybody. He every, gets a spear. He gets a spear and like... R- kills runs, the intermarriers. Kills the intermarriers. And we'll talk about why that's not racist in a second. But like... <laughs> um, um, but he kills those because it's not it's not about race, it's about worshiping false gods. Right. He's they're intermarrying with people who worship other gods in hopes of gaining the protection of those other gods. Right. In the same way Shechem offered all the land, if they just intermarry here, mm-hmm. you have the protection of our gods and all of our land. Here the same thing. Well, if we intermarry with these other women, we'll get the protection of their gods too. Mm. Phineas jealous to preserve God's honor among his people and God's role as protector of his people alone kills those who refuse to do so. So again, and then this is the moment where this is said, therefore, behold, I give to you my covenant of peace to Levi. Ah. And it shall be to him and his descendants after him that this cut him a perpetual priesthood is given because Mm. he was jealous for God and has made atonement for the people of Israel. And that language Ah. of my covenant with him was one of life and peace is repeated here in Malachi. Malachi. And so whenever he says in verse 8 of chapter 2, you've defiled my covenant with Levi. He's saying, Levi, 
have been the people who protected the honor of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And yes. you Levite priests are not doing that. You're defiling right. your very purpose. That's right. And the perpetual covenant I made with you is meant to preserve my honor, and you are dishonoring it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and interestingly, not only is a covenant made with Levi on the heels of him showing this intense desire to honor God's name, but the first time that Jacob is called Israel mm. is right after Levi leads the charge against Shechem. Ah. So right after Levi shows this desire to honor God's to honor his sister in God's house, Jacob is called mm. Israel, the beginning of God's people. Yep. Again, proving the point that Malachi is replaying the Torah yep. for this new generation saying, return to the faithfulness of your forefathers. Return to the faithfulness of Levi. Wow. Okay. So if all the Levites are going to have dung smeared on their faces yeah. and kicked out of Israel, and yet the priesthood will continue. Not all Levites. Okay. The bad Levites. The bad Levites. The okay. Levites that are not faithful. The Levites that are oh, offering polluted so, sacrifices. So the purgers need to be purged. Yes, those the, yeah. the priesthood itself needs to be purged. Okay. God will remain faithful to his covenant with Levi. Levi's covenant will continue, uh-huh. but it needs to be purified of its bad actors, its skeptics, its malcontents. They need to be removed because they're failing the, the job that they were entrusted with. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Anything else there? No, but we've given all the information we need to go into the third argument with okay. God. Okay, third argument. Okay, so the two arguments so far, there has been that, don't you know, I've loved you? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, you haven't. He's like, yes, I have. I chose you. Mm-hmm. And I'm for you and your land. I protected you against any yeah. enemy that's come against you. Right. But to, even when it was your own brother. Right. Yeah. And then the second argument was, don't fathers deserve honor, but you've not honored me? Mm-hmm. They're like, what are you talking about? How have we dishonored you? He's like, you're putting roadkill on the altar. Yep. And if you don't, and I'm going to have to purge the Levitical priests of all the dishonoring priests in mm-hmm. order to unprofane mm-hmm. this whole priesthood system. Yes. And so that I can restore my covenant with Levi uh-huh. and us to get back to where it should be. So the people of God aren't receiving the love of God and the people of God are dishonoring God. Mm-hmm. And, and potentially those are connected. Uh-huh. Uh, God doesn't love me. So why does he deserve my sacrifices? Right. Yeah. Okay. So third argument. Third argument is connected to everything we've said before. So we should have in our mind the idea of intermarriage, the idea of honoring God, the idea of covenants, just mm-hmm. everything swirling. Here's how the third argument begins. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenants of our father? Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem because Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of a foreign god. Ah. And there it is. So now this is a critique that expands out from just the priesthood, but to particularly the men of Israel Mm -hmm. and saying, just like you were tempted the very first time, a moment of honor needed to be shown among the people of Levi and Shechem offered you more land and intermarriage. Levi did the right thing back then by tricking them, right? saying no to that plan right. and killing them instead. I'm not going to intermarry. Instead, you guys have done exactly that. You have chosen to intermarry in hopes of gaining a strategic or material advantage 
by doing so. And that is a dishonoring of the covenant that God has with you because why? God loves you and he's promised to provide everything you need. You don't need to sleep with adherents of other gods in order to curry their favor. You don't need other gods on your side. You have God alone. So maybe talk about why there was no intermarriage for the people of Israel, like okay. ever since Abraham. Yeah. This has been in play ever since Abraham. Because yes. like when Sarah was under threat of getting married to Pharaoh, it was like, uh-oh, is the line of Abraham in trouble? There's, yeah. been, a, there's been a problem from day one. Right. So what's on the line with intermarriage? Right. I think on a very like boots on the ground level, it is a f- intermarriage with people who worship other gods is a failure on the behalf of the men of Israel mm. to believe their God will provide for their needs alone. It's admitting that there's power in the gods of other nations. And if we intermarry with the women of who follow that God, we'll get some of the benefits of those other gods. Mm-hmm. This is why when Solomon like collects a thousand wives, it's a big deal. Right. Because these are political alliances that are tied to local deities right. of other surrounding nations. And he was consolidating that power by marrying all these women. Right. And to some extent, he believed that by trusting these political alliances, he was also admitting that he was trusting the power of other gods uh, and trusting the power of politics and sex to provide for his kingdom rather than letting God provide for his kingdom. Yeah. So when the men of Israel are doing the same thing in their own lives, they're admitting that God isn't enough to provide for them. So they need to go elsewhere to get that provision. That makes sense. It also seems to be like there is a genealogical aspect to this, right? Where it's like you had the mm-hmm. the purity of the Levites. has was yep. one tribe within Israel that yep. God's been tracing and protecting and wanting to keep pure. And now he's saying like, hey, we all have one father, mm-hmm. right? Which is like God, mm-hmm. but also Abraham. Yep. Is not Abraham our father, right? Like they all have father Abraham and they were meant to stay in that family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that God could be the one to get all the credit for growing that nation, yeah. for making them multiply, that they didn't, like you said, didn't need to trust other gods right. or intermarriage right. in order to do it. That's right. So, yeah, I think that, that makes that makes sense. And then God says he has one more thing to say against his people. And he says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because God no longer regards your offerings or accepts them with favor. Hmm. And the people respond, why doesn't he? Why yeah. doesn't he accept our offerings anymore? Right. And he says, because he stands as a witness. You aren't married to the wife of your youth. Mm. God stands as a witness. He's seen that you're no longer married to the wife of your youth. You have either left her, divorced her, married a foreign wife, and become basically the inheritance of another God, or you're having adulterous affairs with other women, mm-hmm. adding to your small little harem. This is faithlessness to God's covenant, and that's why he no longer accepts your offerings. You, in your most basic relationship, your marriage to your spouse, have negated my covenant, your covenant with me, your God. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And and is it possible that God is also saying that when they've neglected the wife of their youth, that God was the wife of... Of their youth too, I think he's he's kind well, of the, yes. to himself that way in other prophets. The idea with marriage uh-huh. is that the marriage between actual men and actual women is symbolic of God's choice and marriage to His people, Israel. Right. So to break that commitment between an actual man and an actual woman 
is to break faith with the covenant God has made with you as an individual. Right. And yeah. and since in like the world you've been building for me is like if you marry a Babylonian woman, yep. you're probably doing it because you have some kind of faith in her Babylonian God. Mm-hmm. And to marry her is to have access to that God. That God, that God's land, that right. God's provisions. Because yes. gods back then were more territorial. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, if I want, I've got Yahweh here in yep. Israel, but imagine if I had Yahweh and yep. the Babylonian God, I'd be extra strong. That's right. And so what God's saying is the wife of your youth marrying an Israelite woman mm-hmm. is saying, I only want to be married to Yahweh alone. Yes. Because I, I want God fair. alone yes. and I need no other God. That's right. God is one and I am his. That's right. And I prove that by marrying an Israelite woman. Yes. Okay. That's right. That makes sense. And maybe I should clarify that Israelite woman mm-hmm. is not the sole qualification. Oh, Okay. A true Israelite woman, which is an Israelite by faith. Ah, uh, yeah. Because Ruth was not. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, this isn't. This isn't uh, an ethnic, ethnic Israelite. Right. Rahab was not an ethnic Israelite. That's right. Yeah. Both of these women were considered Israelites yes. because they trusted God. Yes. So the idea here isn't f- like don't intermarry with other nationalities. Yes. The idea here is only marry those who trust in Yahweh alone. Right. And you, by marrying foreign women, are marrying people who don't trust Yahweh alone Mm -hmm. and therefore are dividing your house's allegiances. Okay. Your house no longer honors Yahweh alone. And that's why I don't accept your sacrifices anymore. Okay. So God's not accepting their sacrifices anymore. And they asked why. Mm -hmm. And his answer is because you're trusting other gods. Yes, that's right. You're bringing me offerings, but you don't actually... Trust me alone to provide for your needs. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this back in our, I believe it was our Zechariah podcast mm. about just the magic of oh, the temple. Yes. And the magic of God's presence. Yeah. And how when you're when God's presence is in the land, everything else flourishes. Oh, Trees yes. Trees grow up, your right. crops produce. Your children. Your children are, healthy. are yeah. healthy. Rain falls more frequently. And so again, we keep going back to this idea well, like God doesn't love us. Look at our situation. It sucks. Therefore, God doesn't deserve our honor. We don't need, we shouldn't have to marry only people who believe in Yahweh because Yahweh has been proven to be a pretty pathetic God in our mm. eyes. So let's go marry the, some Babylonian women. See if our land gets better. See if our land gets better. Yeah. And you say, no, 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 no. The magic's still there. <laughs> like, mm. if you remain faithful to me, your life uh, will be fruitful. Because I, I was going to ask, how do they know that God's not been accepting their offerings and why have they been covering the altar with tears Mm -hmm. if they're like wait what what's going on they had no idea right well they're god's tears oh god is weeping over the the heat they're offering things oh and god they think they're being giving god his due because uh, at least god needs some meat god wants a sacrifice i'll give him whatever he wants yeah i'll marry these women so that i can curry the favor of the babylonian gods Mm -hmm. and get their land but but the but one of the reasons why one of the manifestations of them god not accepting their sacrifice might have been the devastation of the land, famine. That's right. Like, yes. okay, I understand. Okay, is there anything else inside this argument? No, this is the end of the first three arguments okay. where God says, these are my arguments against you. Yep. And in the next three, he'll begin to offer a solution of this coming messenger. And we'll talk about that. Okay, so week. the three arguments, you, you don't know that I love you, mm-hmm. you're dishonoring me, and you are trusting other gods through intermarriage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
how do we see Jesus in all that? <laughs> I thought you might ask this. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> it's like the whole point of the podcast or something. Uh, well, I mean, maybe let's just start. Let's catch us up through 400 years of divine silence. <laughs> okay. Uh, not much changed. Malachi oh, gives yeah. this and not much changes. Mm. Uh, by the time Rome comes on the scene, the people of Israel still felt forgotten by God on some level. Were they all convinced that God loved them? The priest dishonored God in a different way mm. by using the temple to line their own pockets and curry favor with Roman power. Mm. And the men of Israel were just as prone to faithlessness and divorce, which is why Jesus multiple times has to talk about divorce in the sermon, like in the Sermon on the Mount or with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm-hmm. There, He's arguing about divorce. Why? Because that was still common in their day. Right. Like, not much has changed by the time we get to Jesus. So I just see. historically... Jesus is addressing a very similar audience. Yeah, that makes sense. To Malachi. Okay. So the historical kind of map on is yeah. similar. What about the message of yeah. you don't receive my love, you don't honor me and I mean the intermarriage one is still kind of interesting. Yeah. There with seeing how that's fulfilled in Jesus. I think the best way to think about intermarriage is just simply like not trusting God alone to provide for your needs. Right. Right. And if the priests of Jesus's day were setting up stalls in the temple to make money taxing and even Israelites like Matthew mm-hmm. being tax collectors for the Roman army. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they are dividing their allegiances in that moment, right. not trusting God alone to provide for them, but instead trusting the industrial Roman complex yeah. to provide for their needs. Like th- that, that same thing is happening. Intermarriage can just easily read as like, divided faithfulness to God, dividing faithfulness between God and politics, God and other gods. Yeah. I mean, it's also interesting how often Jesus refers to himself as the groom, the bridegroom. Yeah. Yes. Like he's come to marry us. Yeah. And yet some of the virgins don't get their lamps ready for him. Yep. That's right. They're not, they're not ready for the groom. Yeah. They're too busy with other things. Yeah. So maybe let's just keep going here. Like one of the ways that Jesus imagines himself towards his people is as a loving husband. Right. That's like a consistent way scripture talks about Jesus. Which is helpful because like that kind of gets a lot of the categories. You've got marriage, Mm -hmm. love, honor, covenant keeping. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Marriage is a helpful category Mm -hmm. for all these arguments inside these first three in in Malachi. It's like, God's like, I'm your husband. Don't you know that? Yeah. You're not treating me like one, though. Right. You know, I've I lo- always loved you. I've protected you. I've always you. loved you. Like, I've provided for you. Yeah. And yet there's no honor here, and you're marrying other people. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, he's, a, he's a husband, and yeah. his wife is not receiving his love. Yeah. That's just helpful. That's super helpful. And so Jesus comes. And he identifies himself as a groom. His first miracle is to yep. become the host, the best host a wedding has ever seen. Yeah. and provides all this amazing wine. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, ends. Yes. In a wedding feast where the church, all of God's covenant people come to him, the groom, Mm -hmm. and feast with him at a big wedding. That's then the world ends at a in a wedding. Yeah. God is our husband and we are his bride, and we're called to respond to him as such. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So God so in in Jesus as our ultimate groom, he's saying some of the same things to us today. Mm Mm-hmm. He's saying, Haven't I loved you? Right? Yeah. I died for you. Mm-hmm. Like, can you not receive my love? Do you not look back at that event and know that I have loved you so deeply? And then he can look at us and say, so why aren't you honoring me with the way you live your life? If you if you love me, 
Jesus says, keep my commands, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they weren't keeping their God's commands from the Torah on which kind of animals to bring in for sacrifice. Jesus, the same way, he's like, love and honor go hand in hand. If you love me, you'll honor me by keeping my commands. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says that same thing to us. And then he, this is basically like, now don't cheat on me. Right. <laughs> I'm all yeah. you need. Yes. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Yes. Uh, you don't need another God. You don't need another solution. I will provide your daily bread. That's right. I, I've got you covered if you trust me alone. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Jesus fulfills all of the statements mm-hmm. that God brings up in Malachi. Yeah. He loves us. He wants us to honor him. Yeah. And he wants to be our only husband. Yeah. I think there's another, it's like, God's actions towards his people happened, like God's gracious, merciful, saving, loving actions happened to, on behalf of his people while they were still skeptical, suspicious, mm-hmm. and ungrateful. Like in the middle of their skepticism, their suspicion of God's motives, their ungratefulness and their dishonor of God, God's still drawing near to them in the prophet Malachi, still encouraging them to return to him. And Jesus' life demonstrates that same kind of desire to draw near to his people and correct his wife Mm. lovingly bring them back into relationship with him like he's always had this desire to be connected with his own even when they've been disobedient and skeptical and suspicious and ungrateful you said the book at the beginning of the episode the temple's falling in disrepair the people aren't obeying the covenant how does the book start david i wouldn't have said i love you right right that's right but that's what god does that's right when we are disobedient far from him breaking the covenant disrespectful, honoring other gods. Right. And why? Because we think God doesn't love us. Right. And I don't like, think God's love us, so I'm going to do whatever I right. want. It's in those moments that Jesus comes and professes his love for us in right. the most dramatic ways. Yeah. Also think about the willingness of God to have an argument with you. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I love you. No, you don't. And he's like, let me get down to your level and prove to you that let I do. Let me show you. Oh, yeah. that's kind. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, he doesn't go like, fine. Fine. You're right. I guess I, I don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. He actually <laughs> argues with his people. Yeah, in really kind ways. Yes. Wow. He exposes their disobedience, but reminds them of his love, offers them hope of the future, gives them chances to return over Mm. and over again. Like, let me me show you the self-defeating nature of what you're choosing for yourself. I'm still available to you. I still love you. Mm. And I'm I'm willing to have the argument. (laughs) I'm willing to have the argument. I keep thinking, I just thought of that scene in uh, The Office. I was going to say, I was totally (laughs) going to bring it up, where Pam's like, I think we should fight. Yes. Yep. And it's like Jim, her husband, had given up. He just didn't want to argue anymore. Mm-hmm. It was over like an affair too, right? Uh, no. Wasn't that, that, he, that? No, he was cheating on her with his work, basically. That's he was right. an athlete. Yeah, that's right. Yep. That's right. And so, you mean? Yep. And, but the yeah. Bible in the office. The Bible in the office. The the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, last question. And oh. I, this might not be the yeah. place to talk about it. I don't know. Is, okay, what about all this Levi stuff? Okay. Because there's, there's a priesthood that needs to be purified. Mm-hmm. And Jesus this, is a priest. This will all get talked about a lot more in the back half. Okay. The idea of the covenant with Levi being fulfilled, uh-huh. mostly in the second half. Okay. But for now, think about Jesus as zeal for God's house consumed him. We've already mentioned this. Like Phineas. Like Phineas. He comes to the temple and cleanses it. It's dishonorable actors. He purges the purgers. Yes. Those who are taking advantage of a God's people. He cleans them out. Right. Jesus has no patience for people who use religion to abuse others. I see. So even right. though he's not descended from the tribe of Levi, he yes. fulfills their calling, just like the original Levite did mm-hmm. with the defiling of Dina, yes. just like the Levites at Mount Sinai, yes. just like Phineas, 
Jesus is coming in and cleaning out mm-hmm. all that which dishonors God at his yes. temple. We'll talk about this next week, but the Bible talks about how Jesus isn't a Levite. He's right. from the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. But this, his priest, Jesus' priestly order is not different in kind. It still has that same desire to honor God. Yeah. It's still doing what Levites does, but just on a grander scale. Mm. And that's what we'll really okay. talk about next Well, week. that's a good teaser for next yeah. week then. Okay. Well, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.